Welcome to the Bible Questions podcast brought to you by BibleQuestions.org and the Holly Street Church of Christ. This podcast is dedicated to answering your Bible questions from the Bible. My name is Jeff, and along with Brian, we are the hosts of this program. Hello, and welcome to the Bible Questions podcast sponsored by the Holly Street Church of Christ. Thank you so much for joining us. You have Brian and Jeff along. And Jeff, we're going to be getting into part two of our study on demonic forces and the afterlife, the mediums and ghosts and hauntings. And boy, we sure covered a lot last time, didn't we? Certainly we did. Uh, Yeah, last time we mainly focused on uh, demons, uh, demonic possession, uh, exorcisms, uh, whether such is to be expected today. Uh, and pretty much we concluded the answer is no, not to be expected today with the passing of the miraculous, according to 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Then we switched gears and said, well, okay, so if we're not really expecting demonic possession today, and we expect Satan himself and hurt people, harm people, kill people, etc., you know, based on his interactions in the, in the Bible. And again, we kind of came to a similar conclusion that any sort of interaction he has with us today is kind of indirect through temptations, through people wanting us to do what we shouldn't do, through the media, entertainment, our own lusts, uh, etc. And that we sh- you know, shouldn't be you know, concerned about Satan directly, miraculously you know, causing us to be sick or you know, killing our loved ones or things of, of that nature. And then, of course, today we're going to, you know, switch gears and talk about other aspects of the supernatural, Brian, which I think you're, you'll get us uh, kicked off on. Yeah, that's right. And, and encourage you, if you haven't had a chance to listen to last week's podcast, to do so. The Bible does have a lot to say about demons. We were able to kind of present some information from the scriptures that you might find interesting. And so, yeah, as Jeff mentioned, we're going to now shift gears today and we're going to start talking about spirits overall, mediums, ghosts, and hauntings. And so as we kind of said in the introduction of our last podcast, you know, there's been this fascination with hauntings and ghosts. And, you know, many people, whether it's through shows or movies or whatever, are firmly convinced that all of this still exists today. And so, you know, let's just see what what does the Bible say, of course, uh, about this. And so when it comes to spirits, the Bible has a whole lot to say about it. In fact, it's kind of interesting. You know, I just did a search in, in my Bible program on the word spirits, and there were like 50 references to spirits, plural. But if you were just to go and do a search on the word spirit, and I use the New King James, so I searched that, there's over 500 references to spirit. Now, as you might expect, many of those uh, reference the Holy Spirit or our own spirit that God gave us. So all that we, would, we wouldn't be surprised by. But, you know, the Bible also talks about a lot of other types of spirits. So let's kind of dive into that. So first and foremost, you know, it describes what's in mankind, as I mentioned. So, for instance, if you were to go over to 1 John chapter 4 and verse 1, it says, test the spirits. And then it says at the end of that verse, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. So that tells us it's talking about people. So God gave us all spirits, and so we are to test the individuals that do the teaching, because once again, there are many false prophets. Over in Proverbs chapter 16 and verse 2, all the ways of a man are pure in his own eyes, but the Lord weighs the spirits. So once again, the Lord knows our spirits, each one of ours. He weighs, he evaluates each one of us, 
And ultimately, we're going to be judged based on how our spirit has lived our life in the flesh and so forth. The word spirit also describes what is in animals. So, you know, unlike man, though, the spirit of an animal does not live on. And we know this from Ecclesiastes chapter 3 and verse 21, where it says, Who knows the spirit of the sons of men, which goes upward, and the spirit of the animal, which goes down to the earth? So animals have spirits. Also, the word spirit refers to entities sent out from God. So we have some examples of this, for instance, in Zechariah chapter 6, verse 5. It references the four spirits of heaven who go out from their station before the Lord of all the earth. We talked in our first podcast about an evil or distressing spirit that was sent to Saul in 1 Samuel chapter 16 and verse 14, and it says it was sent out from God. The lying spirit also sent out from God. 1 Kings chapter 22, verse 22. I just want to mention as a sidebar with lying, you know, there are many passages that said the Lord cannot lie. It's impossible for him to lie. If you look in 1 Kings 22, you will see it wasn't God lying, but it was God sending out a spirit, probably an angel, doesn't really tell us, to be a quote-unquote lying spirit to influence somebody. In fact, I found it kind of fascinating, Jeff, as I was researching all of this, that, you know, there were many times where God would influence the thoughts of certain kings, for instance, to accomplish his will. So, for instance, King Cyrus, God stirred up his spirit, we're told, to basically create a proclamation that would allow the Israelites to return to Jerusalem and rebuild the temple. Also, he stirred up the kings in other countries like Assyria to go and carry off the Israelites into captivity. So things like that, right? There were God would send and influence people's hearts to accomplish his will. But he never lied. And once again, if he sent out a lying spirit, it was it's for a specific purpose. We read about ministering spirits in Hebrews chapter 1 and verse 14, where, you know, God sent angels, for instance, to minister, to assist his people on many different occasions. The Holy Spirit, as we mentioned, the most common. And, you know, what's interesting about the Holy Spirit, you know, we talk a lot about the Holy Spirit, especially under the law of Christ that we live under today, but the Holy Spirit was there in the beginning, at the very beginning of the creation. We know this from Genesis chapter 1. But also, you know, the Holy Spirit had many facets beyond, you know, revealing the truth to mankind. So, for instance, in Judges chapter 14 in verse 6, Jeff, if I could get you to read that here, it talks about how the Holy Spirit gave great strength to Samson. The Spirit of the Lord came mightily upon him, and he tore the lion apart as one would have torn apart a young goat. So he had nothing in his hand, but he did not tell his father or his mother what he had done. Yeah, kind of an interesting example, right, of what the Holy Spirit could do beyond, once again, reveal the truth. He gave Samson this great power. And, of course, that power was used against the Philistines on several occasions from Samson, once again, to accomplish the Lord's will. Of course, as we did touch on, you know, he did not only reveal the truth, but we have an example or or some statements in the New Testament where, you know, Jesus said, when you go before governors or authorities, different authorities, you don't need to worry about what to say because the Holy Spirit's going to literally put the words in your mouth that you need to say. And we see, for instance, in Mark chapter 13 and verse 11, but when they arrest you and deliver you up, do not worry beforehand or premeditate what you will speak, 
But whatever is given you in that hour, speak that, for it is not you who speak, but the Holy Spirit. So, you know, just another spirit, but just an example also of the, all of the work that God gave the Spirit to do. Now, going back to the idea of just spirits in general, certainly also associated with evil, which is what we've been talking about, certainly with demons, for instance, and Satan in our last podcast. And so there are different references to these kinds of spirits. So for instance, familiar spirits is one that you see on several occasions. One example of that's over in Luke chapter 19 and verse 31. Also, if you look in Leviticus chapter 20, verses 26 through 27, someone who is a medium or had familiar spirits, or tried to call up people from the dead, were to be put to death. So it was not something that God wanted mankind involved in. So Leviticus 20, beginning in verse 26, says, And you shall be holy to me, for I the Lord am holy, and have separated you from the peoples that you should be mine. Verse 27, A man or a woman who is a medium, who has familiar spirits, shall surely be put to death, they shall stone them with stones, their blood shall be upon them. So this was something that was considered evil, and it was prohibited in God's word. We read about unclean spirits. Mark chapter 3, verse 11 is one example. But many of the demons and demonic possessions that we read about in the New Testament were called unclean spirits. That might be the most used description of who they were. We have evil spirits, Acts chapter 19 and verse 12. We have deceiving spirits, 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 1. We have spirits of demons, Revelation 16, 14. And we even have like spirits of divination. So if you remember in Acts chapter 16, there was a girl who brought much profit to her owners by divining, if you will. And of course, we know that that was associated with evil because the demon was cast out of her by Paul also in Acts chapter 16 and verse 18. So Jeff, a lot that the Bible talks about as it relates to spirits, really multifaceted as it relates to the different kinds of spirits. So let me just give you a chance to share any thoughts you have about that. Well, and I don't know, maybe I'm oversimplifying this a little bit, but at least in terms of today, you know, when people talk about, you know, spirits, I would tend to suspect they're probably either referring to like demonic spirits which we tried to address that in part one, or they might be referring to dead, uh, what will people commonly call ghosts, right? Uh, or you know, spirits, or you may have a you know spirit medium, you know, a medium, a person who is contacting uh, you know the spirits of the dead, you know, through seances or some other sort of mechanism. Uh, so I would tend to think our, our listeners, when we say spirit. In terms of modern day interaction, probably those those two categories, one that we've dealt with. I think the other one you're going to deal with <laughs> up next in terms of like ghosts and cemeteries and haunted houses and, and that kind of thing. Yeah, that's exactly right. In fact, to your point, departed spirits, right? That's what many think ghosts are. They're departed spirits from the dead, uh, much like Josephus kind of alluded to. Of course, he was saying that it was wicked dead spirits, right? But yeah, certainly some beliefs that these departed spirits, you know, maybe from your previous loved ones, uh, maybe somebody that was murdered, let's say, comes back, uh, you know, and haunts you and all this. And so, yeah, first and foremost, I guess we'll just get to the punchline. You know, there are no indications in Scripture that there are ghosts or hauntings from the dead. So sometimes there can be confusion, you know, with the King James Version calling the Holy Spirit the Holy Ghost. 
I've never liked that just because it, the Holy Spirit was a spirit from God, not a ghost. <laughs> so I'm not sure what the King James translators were thinking of when they translated the Holy Ghost. But regardless, I think sometimes that can cause confusion. And then also, as we mentioned in our first podcast, you know, many are also influenced by TV shows and movies. So think about A Christmas Carol, if you've ever seen that, with Ebenezer Scrooge. And there are entities sent to him to kind of teach him a lesson, if you will. And at one point in that movie, he's allowed to kind of see all of these ghosts and spirits floating around that he couldn't see with his normal eye. And so, once again, no question that that influenced people as far as what they believe. And we have a lot of books and unexplained experiences is another thing. You know, so sometimes people will visit a really old home that's said to be haunted and they hear a door close and wait, nobody's downstairs. How could that happen? You know, or even hotels. You know, I went to dinner a few months ago with uh, someone, one of our customers who used to be a police officer in the L.A. area. And he talked about a hotel out there that was haunted, supposedly, and people would pay money to spend the night there to see if they could spend all night without just being deathly afraid. And of course, they would hear these noise anyways. So going back to scripture, you know, nothing in scripture indicates that the souls of those who die go wandering around the earth or haunt or communicate with mankind today. And so, you know, when we look at the story of the rich man and Lazarus in Luke chapter 16, it makes it clear that when we die, our souls go to Hades and they go either to torments or to paradise. And so that's a, a very clear example from the Lord about what happens to souls when they die. Now, I think there's a couple other interesting things there. And so, you know, if you want to make a note, you know, Luke 16, 19 through 31 is where you'll find this story about the rich man and Lazarus. And if you were to go down to verse 22, it indicates that when Lazarus died, he was carried by the angels to Hades. So he didn't have the power to go where he wanted to go. The angels carried him to Hades, and there he was sort of locked in, if you will. And in fact, if you go to verse 26, here you had the rich man who was asking that Lazarus be allowed to come and dip his tongue in water because he was in so much suffering. And of course, Abraham said, you know, that there was a great gulf between paradise and torments and that there can be no movement from one place to the other. And, you know, we get the impression that this also applies that we cannot go anywhere else outside of Hades because... The rich man asked that Lazarus would be sent to warn his brothers as he seemed to understand that he couldn't go, but that maybe the Lord would allow Lazarus to go. Well, anyhow, Abraham said, you know, of course, they, they have the prophets, let them listen to them. And even if he says God allowed someone to come back from the dead, that necessarily doesn't mean they're going to believe, right? So anyhow, but I think the bigger point here is carried by angels to Hades, locked into Hades, can't move around. So then it would seem to support the fact that, yeah, can't be moving around the earth haunting people, Jeff, right? <laughs> so uh, Exactly. A, a good point. And as well as, I might say, at least with some of the TV shows I've seen with these you know, mediums, you know, there's a concept of, well, when you die, you kind of hover around a little bit for a while before moving on. Or if it was especially traumatic, you might get stuck, so to speak sort of in this world and you need some assistance to move on to the next world you know none of that's in the scriptures i mean that's that, that's like tv hollywood movies etc out in the scriptures and yet at the same time 
there are, as you mentioned, a lot of different perspectives about what happens to people when they die. And this is, you know, even across the religious realm. You know, for example, at least according to the Jehovah's Witnesses, when you die, that's it. You know, they say there is no such thing as an eternal spirit that goes to Hades. Uh, that it's just more like your body and your breath. And hence, when you take your last breath, you're dead. That's it. You know, end of story, you know, until at some point in the future, you know, God will kind of recreate your body, your person, your your breath, etc. So cease to exist is one. Others people, other people talk about soul sleep, where you're kind of, yes, your spirit sort of lives on, but it's unconscious. It's almost like you're sleeping, kind of. There's a belief with a, a lot of Christians that uh, at death, the those who are righteous immediately go to heaven. You know, there's like a, an immediate judgment and, you know, up to heaven they go. Some religious groups, particularly the Catholics, believe uh, after death there's a second chance in a place they would call purgatory. As we've already mentioned, sometimes people think, you know, these spirits you know, can reappear as ghosts. Uh, some people think humans turn into angels when they die. And at least a few Christians, I suspect, Although this is more associated with like Hinduism, believe that you can be reincarnated, you know, come back into this life. You know, at least within Hinduism, you can come back into this life as a different person, you know, at a higher or lower social status, depending on what you did in the previous life. Or if you were really bad, I guess you can come back as an animal, right? Again, depending upon, there's like an immediate judgment and a recycling, so to speak, and a coming back. You know, based on what you did. But, you know, Brian, as, as you pointed out earlier, and our listeners can certainly uh, read more about in Luke chapter 16, that's not how Jesus portrayed, you know, the events after death. As you said, the, the, the spirits of the dead go to some kind of realm or existence. The Greek word brought over into English, Hades, you know, the realm of the unseen dead. And where they're either in torment or in comfort, waiting for the resurrection and final judgment, uh, at least according to Revelation chapter 20, verse 13. Now, in talking about what happens to the spirit after death, there may be, admittedly, a few scriptures that might uh, indicate some limited exceptions to the general rule of people going to Hades, either the good part or the bad part, you know, after they die. Enoch. Uh, was one, uh, Genesis chapter 5, verse 24, and Hebrews chapter 11, verse 5. Elisha, you know, taken up by a whirlwind, uh, 2 Kings chapter 2, verse 11. And at least in a temporary sense, a man in Christ, 1 Corinthians 12, verses 2 through 4, which some people believe might have been Paul, you know, temporarily allowed access, entry, if you will, into uh, heaven. To you know, witness and witness some things and hear some things uh, before coming back. But again, you know, those would be very limited uh, exceptions to the general rule that when you die, you go to the Hadean realm. You're not as a lot of preachers and funerals will say, "Oh, he's up in heaven," and more so, "And he's looking down on us and he's smiling." You know, those kinds of uh, phraseology. Yeah, it doesn't seem to be supported by scripture. So there you go, Brian. Real, real kind of quick answer of what happens to. People, uh, at least their their spirits, separated from their bodies, happens at the point of, or right after the point of death. Yeah, and you know the first point you made, you know, there's like the belief that, like Rover, the old saying says, we're dead all over. You know, once we die, like 
some of the religions like Jehovah's Witnesses believe, for instance, and you know, over in Matthew chapter 22, we read about the Sadducees, you know, who say there is no resurrection. So, you know, that belief went back to when Jesus was still walking around, if you will, in teaching. And, you know, the Sadducees, of course, much like the Pharisees, were trying to sort of trip up Jesus, we might say. So they give him this example in Matthew 22 and verse 24, you know, hey, if a man dies having no children, his brother shall marry his wife and raise up offspring for his brother. Uh, let's say this happens seven times, right? Seven brothers, the first died after he married, then the next died, then the next, and the next. They go on to ask, you know, therefore, verse 28, in the resurrection, whose wife of the seven will she be? For all, they all had her. So, you know, they're trying to say, well, you know, this theory you have, Jesus, about the resurrection, this this example we're giving you kind of shows how foolish that would be. Because, oh, by the way, whose wife would she be if she had seven husbands? Well, Jesus kind of put that to rest in verse 29, where he says, You are mistaken, not knowing the scriptures nor the power of God. For in the resurrection they neither marry nor are given in marriage, but are like the angels of God in heaven. And then the key thing he says, verse 31, But concerning the resurrection of the dead, have you not read what was spoken to you by God, saying, I am the God of Abraham, God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob? God is not the God of the dead, but of the living. And then it says, you know, when the multitudes heard this, they were astonished at his teaching. So Jesus showed, you know, these men have been dead physically for years, but yet they're still being referenced because they are living. And so, of course, God is the God of the living. So anyhow, you know, as you pointed out, the scriptures make it clear that our soul lives on. And one of the reasons, or the primary reason, I guess we could say, is because it will live for eternity and there will be a judgment to decide where we go, heaven or hell. Yeah. Good points. Now, admittedly, some people may go over to Second Corinthians chapter five, verses six through ten, where it talks about departing to be with the Lord. And at least within that context, verse ten seems to indicate that that being with the Lord may not necessarily be immediately after death going to heaven, but after the, uh, contextually, after the judgment day, being with the Lord in heaven forever. The other thing I'll just mention, just, you know, just very briefly, is, is some people get confused when they read about the, uh, the resurrection of the dead and Jesus coming back in the clouds, etc. Confused from the perspective of, well, if the saved are already in heaven, and they're like, with Jesus, are they with him when he reappears in the clouds? And they get confused about the resurrection of the dead and, you know, the saved being brought back to life and then ascending with the living saved to meet Jesus. Uh, as if they were in some other place, not necessarily with Jesus and coming back with Jesus, which, again, is consistent with them being in Hades uh, and being, you know, reunited with their reconstituted or recreated uh, bodies, uh, resurrected, and then rising to meet the Lord. So, anything else on that, Brian, before we uh, ask or offer up a series of questions and answers for our audience? Yeah, just one final thought. There are so many passages that teach us that our souls live on. And just one other quick one that popped in as you were talking, Jeff, was, you know, when Jesus was transfigured on the mountain in Matthew 17, and Moses and Elijah appeared to him and were talking to him. Yet another example, right, of souls live on, and yes, we go to Hades and wait 
await that judgment. So, All right now, the only other thing I'll just add a little bit is there does appear to be some sense of judging, if you will, at the point of death, and so the the concept of a judgment day may be less about distinguishing whether a person was was good or not, and maybe more like final sentencing, so to speak with the righteous going to uh, you know, heaven, eternal life, uh, and those who are not going to uh, Gehenna or hell for eternal punishment. Anyway, there's some, there's some similarities between Hades, temporary, temporary Hades, and the, the final permanent, you know, heaven and hell. Just something you have to be uh, careful to distinguish between. That's true, yep. Okie dokie, so you get the first question from Jerry. And so he wrote in, I understand that we are not to get involved with the occult, mediums, worshiping false gods, etc. But why are we not supposed to try to communicate with the dead? For example, like telling my mom and dad I miss them and love them. Yeah, certainly, you know, the sentiment from Jerry, I think, could be shared by many that, you know, hey, all of us at some point, if it was possible would love to be able to communicate with those who have died, you know, especially if their loved ones, our parents, our children, whatever it might be. And so understandable, but simply speaking, God forbids it. And we can go back to the Old Testament. You know, we were talking about in Leviticus chapter 19, how God said that those who would be mediums and those who would try to call up the dead should be stoned to death. So that kind of gave you an idea of what he thought about it. Well, in Leviticus 19 verse 31, Give no regard to mediums and familiar spirits. Do not seek after them to be defiled by them. I am the Lord your God. So no question about it. It was prohibited. It was not something that God wanted to be done. In fact, there's a term, necromancy. Yeah, necromancy is the term that's used to describe people like mediums. And, you know, we have uh, those, you know, hold seances and all these types of things. That's what, what's described uh, in that word. In fact, we'll get into that definition here in just a minute. But if we go to Deuteronomy chapter 18, notice what it says here, beginning in verse 9. When you come into the land, which the Lord your God is giving you, you shall not learn to follow the abominations of those nations. So just a quick sidebar, you know, a lot of these practices came out of Egypt and in other nations. And of course, God's people, much like even today, you know, a certain percentage of people adopt things that happen in the world. But anyhow, moving on, verse 10, there shall not be found among you anyone who makes his son or daughter pass through the fire, or one who practices witchcraft, or a soothsayer, or one who interprets omens, or a sorcerer, or one who conjures spells, or a medium, or a spiritist, or one who calls up the dead. And in fact, it's kind of interesting, you know, that term, one who calls up the dead. If you were to look in the King James of the American Standard, it uses this word necromancer. And so, you know, that's what that person was called. And it goes on to verse 12, for all who do these things are an abomination to the Lord. And because of these abominations, the Lord your God drives them out from before you. You shall be blameless before the Lord your God. So, just a couple passages that make it clear it was prohibited and anything that was called an abomination to the Lord, well, that's, you know, that's pretty serious, right? That's just deplorable, we might say. So if you want to, you know, like, okay, what does this word mean in English? Well, Wikipedia actually has a really good definition of this necromancer, and that is, you know, the practice of black magic 
or of the practice of magic or black magic involving communication with the dead, either by summoning their spirits as apparitions, visions, or raising them bodily for the purpose of divination, imparting the means to foretell future events, discover hidden knowledge, to bring someone back from the dead, or to use the dead as a weapon. So once again, there, there are many who would claim to be able to do this, you know, card readers and so forth. But it's all false. It's all, in fact, there have been many shows where they have gone in secretly to see if they're really calling up someone from the dead. And it's always proven to be deception and a fake. So not only can it not be done, but even under the time where you had people like the Witch of Endor that were allowed to call up Samuel, for instance, it's not something that, number one, can be done today. Number two, it was considered an abomination to the Lord. And so going back to, you know, Jerry's question, it's not something that we should pursue if it's an abomination to the Lord. And also the final point here, Jeff, is, you know, it's, it's a failure to rely on God. And this is really reflected in Isaiah chapter 8 and verse 19. It says, and when they say to you, seek those who are mediums and wizards who whisper and mutter, should not a people seek their God? Should they seek the dead on behalf of the living? So it clearly says here that's just reprehensible if you think about it, because certainly then, you know, they could seek God and ask for his advice on a host of things. And yet people still, once again, because of the influence of Egypt and other nations, would not seek God, but instead would seek mediums and wizards and so forth. So anyhow, Jeff, uh, that's how I would answer his question. Well, and I think that last point you made is, is probably the, the most important. You know, seeking God, seeking information from God, seeking revelation from God, seeking, you know, information about the future, etc. You know, again, through the scriptures, you know, well-established, inspired, attested to by miracles. You know, that's, that's how God, you know, communicates his will as well as the future, you know, to us, you know, again, through his word. You know, we should seek it via that way. Uh, going through other mechanisms, uh, particularly going to the dead. You know, as we mentioned earlier, you know, spirits go to Hades. Uh, there does not seem to be mechanisms that allow them to phone home, so to speak, you know, communicate back with the living. And so any sort of, you know, experience with a, you know, this divination, medium, whatever, you know, it, it's not real, particularly within Bible times. Whether in some ways they are interacting with some demon that was pretending to be the dead person, or whether the, the medium was just kind of making it up and faking it. Either way, bottom line is, don't do it. Because that's not the true source of, you know, information about the supernatural or information about the future. You know, seek, seek the only one who really understands all that, and that's, you know, God. Of course, today, that would be through his word. Yeah, that's it. Great point. All right, hey, the next question comes from Patrick, Jeff, and... He says, meaning of Ecclesiastes chapter 9, verse 5, and then he says, quote, but the dead know not anything. Does this simply mean they are not conscious spiritually in any respect after death, or does it simply mean they don't know anything that's going on on earth, quote unquote, under the sun? Reason being, did the rich man in Luke 16 have a memory of his brothers back on earth, even though he was physically dead and in this spirit asking Abraham to send Lazarus back with water to cool his tongue. 
Second question, when the situation with Samuel resorting to asking the fortune teller slash mind reader to contact the dead, even though he knew it was wrong to do, I don't know the scripture or complete story and can't find it in your topic menu. So there you go. A couple questions about that. Couple questions. Yep. All right. So let's let's deal with the first one. Ecclesiastes nine verses four through six. Brian, you want to go ahead and read that one? Yeah, here it says, but for him who is joined to all the living, there is hope. For a living dog is better than a dead lion. For the living know that they will die, but the dead know nothing. And they have no more reward, for the memory of them is forgotten. Also, their love, their hatred, and their envy have now perished. Nevermore will they have a share in anything done under the sun. Right. And so as we mentioned earlier, Jehovah's Witnesses will come to this passage, focus on the dead know nothing, and say, aha, here's proof that the dead are basically unconscious or, or don't exist. Right? They, they know nothing. Right? However, that view is not consistent with other verses, which uh, generally speaking is a wonderful Bible technique, a Bible study technique. You, know, you want to harmonize everything the Bible says on a subject, regardless of you know where it's found. Exodus chapter 3, verse 6, uh, as cited in Matthew 22, verse 32, where Jesus, uh, well, Jesus quoting Exodus, I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. God is not the God of the dead, but of the living. Again, a turn on a verb tense or a use of a verb tense. Not I was the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, but I am the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I currently am the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, even though they're dead. Well, if that's present tense, that does indicate some ongoing existence. And of course, we understand from Luke 16 and the insight Jesus gives us there, that's that's within the realm of what was called or is called Hades. So we know there's consciousness after death. So the dead know nothing, Ecclesiastes 9, we know doesn't mean the dead are non-existent or unconscious, not thinking, or whatever. Contextually, as Patrick points out, this can be one of two ways. This is related to under the sun, right? So the dead don't really know what's going on here. Can also mean while the living know they'll die, future, you know, future insight, the dead know nothing about the future, right? So you got kind of those, those nuances in terms of, you know, the immediate context. For instance, uh, in terms of, you know, knowing what's continuing on in this life, and having insight into what's going on now. You know, do the dead have that insight? Interesting passage, Job chapter 14, verse 21, regarding those who have passed on. You know, his sons come to honor, and he does not know it. You know, they're brought low, and he does not perceive it. This would be the person who's in, in Hades, you know, not really knowing what's going on on the earth. But as Patrick points out, they still have memories. You know, Luke 16. You know, the rich man remembered, yes, I've got brothers. Oh, by the way, since they're not here in Hades with us yet, well, they're still alive. I know that, <laughs> but that's all I know. I don't know what's going on with them, but I do know they're not here yet. And so there's still a chance, Father Abraham, please send Lazarus. And of course, Lazarus or Abraham says, no, sorry, that's not the way it works. All right. So that was a uh, question one about the dead know nothing. Brian, did you have any uh, comment on that before I go to the second half of the question? Uh, no, go ahead. Okay. 
So the second half of the question was, what? and this this was Patrick saying, what about the situation with Samuel resorting to asking a quote-unquote fortune teller, mind reader? Uh, actually, uh, as Brian mentioned already, uh, that was Saul, King Saul, uh, who approached the a quote-unquote witch uh, in, I don't know if it was the town or region of Endor, hence why she's known as the Witch of Endor. And 1 Samuel chapter 28, a couple different verses, starting with verse 3. Saul, to his credit, according to the law of Moses, had put the mediums and the spiritists out of the land. You know, ran them out, killed them, whatever the case may be. So he's, he's driven them away, as he should. And again, that's what the law of Moses says. In fact, the person that he contacts, uh, the woman, verse 9, says to him, look. And of course, he's in disguise. Saul is in disguise trying to get this woman to, quote unquote, bring up the spirit of Samuel. So that Saul can get some, you know, insight into what's going on and what he needs to do, etc. Anyway, so Saul in disguise. So the woman says to this person who is approaching her, "Look, you know what Saul has done? How he has cut off the medians and the spirits, spiritists from the land. Why then do you lay a snare for my life to cause me to die?" Well, as Brian pointed out, Leviticus twenty verse twenty-seven, that was the penalty for trying to contact the dead. Death, death penalty. Yet, Saul was desperate, you know, for guidance from God. Verse 5, when Saul, of course, this is before approaching her, when Saul saw the army of the Philistines, he was afraid, and his heart trembled greatly. And when Saul inquired of the Lord, the Lord did not answer him, either by dreams, or by the Urim, or by the prophets. And of course, at this point, I might just mention briefly, uh, Saul has had a number of occasions to do the Lord's will and in one way or another fell short, failed. Uh, you may recall uh, Samuel commanded him while Samuel was still alive to you know, go forth and utterly destroy the uh, Amalekites. And okay, Saul did that kind of mostly, but he preserved the king and the best of the animals. And he got confronted for that disobedience you know, by Samuel. And some other situations. But bottom line is, at this point, you know, the Lord has pretty much uh, you know, stopped communicating with Saul. And in many ways is in the process of elevating David, you know, who will become the second king over the uh, nation of Israel. But anyway, be that as it may. So the Lord had stopped communicating with Saul through normal means, normal to include supernatural. So Saul was like, okay, fine, I'll, I'll go do what the law of Moses said was an abomination, which again shows his character. Now, here's the key point about this story. 1 Samuel 28, verse 12. So the woman does her thing to bring forth the spirit of the dead, like she has before, I would assume, and whatever that meant, whether she was just faking it or whatever. But notice in verse 12, the shock when it happened with Samuel for real. Verse 12, when the woman saw Samuel, she cried with a loud voice. <laughs> it's like, whoa! This actually happened, that's right. <laughs> yeah, it actually happened, exactly. Then the woman spoke to Saul, and then, and, and, you know, this is insightful as well. Somehow, some way, she now realizes that her client is King Saul who has killed off all the other mediums. And now she's, you know, panicked from that as well. Why have you deceived me? For you are Saul. 
<laughs> Continuing on verse 16. And so it is Samuel, you know, Samuel. And again, this is an exception. Samuel is allowed to come from Hades to visit Saul. Samuel says, so why do you ask me, seeing the Lord has departed from you and has become your enemy? For the Lord has done for himself as he spoke by me. For the Lord has torn the kingdom out of your hand and given it to your neighbor, David, because you did not obey the voice of the Lord, nor execute his fierce wrath upon Amalek. Therefore, the Lord has done this thing to you today. And of course, the story goes on to say, that you know Saul in the ensuing battle with the Philistines, uh, unfortunately, along with Jonathan, if I remember correctly, both killed and uh, not recorded, but based on other passages, departed spirits uh, went to Hades. Given his uh, Saul's spiritual condition, probably <laughs> the same area where the rich man uh, went in in torments. Unfortunately, uh, don't know about Jonathan. Again, that's something not revealed, so I don't even want to speculate. So that's that's the story, an interesting one of a spirit medium who actually had it happen and was totally shocked when it did. Brian? Yeah, and you know, and it's interesting. We have this saying, be careful what you wish for, right? So here you have Saul desperately wanting to speak to Samuel because, as you pointed out, God would no longer speak to him, right? His spirit left him and so forth. And, you know, he also finds out, and I really believe personally, that this is why God allowed Samuel to come up because in verse 19 of First. Samuel 28, he tells Saul some bad news. You know, moreover, the Lord will also deliver Israel with you into the hand of the Philistines. And tomorrow, you and your sons will be with me. The Lord will also deliver the army of Israel into the hand of the Philistines. So, yeah, he really wanted to speak to Samuel, but he got some pretty bad news at the end of that, didn't he? <laughs> so, anyway. Be careful what you ask for. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. All right. So, next question comes from Kevin. And this is an interesting one. What can Satan not do? Yeah, I like that question. And, you know, we're, we're all interested in, we actually covered in great detail, right, in the last podcast about the devil and, and what he's capable of doing. Hey, can he make me sin? Those kinds of things. So I like how he's saying, hey, what are asking, what can he not do? And so we certainly don't want to underestimate Satan. We know that he can tempt us and entice us and so forth. but you know, the truth is God has given us power over him, right? So we don't want to give him more credit than's due. He's certainly not deity. He cannot force us against our will to obey him or disobey him. And we have passages like James chapter 4, verse 7, where it talks about, you know, resist the devil and he will flee from you. We also have, you know, 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 8 and 9, where, you know, it talks about be sober and be vigilant because our adversary, the devil walks about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. And actually, I like how verse 9 says, resist him steadfast in the faith. So if we are steadfast in the faith, we can resist Satan. You know, he's not going to be able to force us to sin, as we've said. And so one other passage, you know, Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 11, whereas you touched on Jeff earlier, you know, put on the whole armor of God that you might be able to stand against the wild of the devil. So we have power over him and his power is therefore limited against us in that way. Now, in addition, there are indications or hints, we might say, where he is limited in other ways, such as Knowing the future, that's something only deity can do. Or reading our thoughts, something only deity can do. Although it is kind of interesting how he seems to be aware of our weaknesses. And so 
Kind of an interesting dynamic there. Uh, also, directly and miraculously injecting thoughts into our minds. That's not something Satan can do. So, you know, think about visions or dreams, you know, given by deity like God, you know, on, on many occasions, Daniel, for instance, or um, uh, Joseph, I'm thinking of, I should say that, you know, <clears throat> uh, you know, men who had visions and dreams and, and so forth that were from God. Well, we don't have any indication in scripture that Satan can do that controlling nature as well as directly afflicting people and or killing them. So, Jeff, when you had mentioned Job, you know, that was a special case. As you indicated, there was this great wind that Satan was able to produce. But notice that he had to get God's permission to do anything to Job. And much like we've talked about when it came to demons and other spiritual gifts, it seemed like the what a Satan was allowed to do was only for a period of time. And so, you know, once again, God was in control of that. He allowed Satan to test Job. Job passed that test. And so the scriptures do have many things to say about, you know, what we might call the arch enemy of mankind, Satan. And, you know, once again, while he is very powerful, uh, there do seem to be times when he and the demons were permitted more or less activity, as I mentioned. So just a couple verses to help support that. Of course, we talked about Job 1. And then also Luke chapter 22 verses 31 through 34. So, you know, in that particular section of scripture, uh, when you take a look at it, it talks about how, you know, Satan has had asked that he might be able to sift Peter like wheat. Not sure exactly what that meant, but, you know, Jesus said, I've prayed for you, right? So there's, you know, it seems to be at times ongoing conversations or conversations in the past with Satan and God and so forth. And so, some of these things we don't understand, but once again, what we do clearly understand in the scriptures show, God has power over Satan. It limited what he could do. Some of the things he was allowed to do was for a period of time, and that ultimately we all, as in human beings, have control over Satan. If we resist him, he will flee from us, and God will never allow us to be tempted in a way that we can't resist what Satan is tempting us with. So anyhow, Jeff, I'll turn it over to you for any thoughts. Yeah, in some ways, it seems like people want to go to either one of two extremes. One is to sort of laugh it off, right? You know, um, you know, Satan doesn't exist, or we turn him into somewhat like a comic book character. You know, the whole red skin and horns and a pitchfork and a pointy tail, whatever. Yeah. Right, right. So, so we tend to, you know, make him, uh, you know, laughable. Or to the other extreme, we think he's deity and that whatever God can do, he can do. And so therefore, because of all the supernatural power that he has, just like God, you know, we need to live in, in fear of what, you know, anything around us that's the least bit negative. Oh, Satan is doing this, you know, directly, miraculously, etc. So again, like with a lot of extremes, you know, truth is more in the middle, as we've you know tried to point out. Yeah, that's right. And in fact, this last question that we'll I'll ask you is is kind of an extension of the what I just mentioned, and that is a question from Lori. Can Satan purposely put thoughts into our minds, or is it just by suggestions that come from what naturally happens, I guess, around us every day? All right. Good question. And you know, certainly as we have pointed out today in part two to some degree in the in the previous podcast uh, part one of this uh, short two-part series you know satan is powerful i mean he's been around for thousands of years <laughs> kind of knows what's going on knows how to push our buttons so to speak very influential but 
You know, I'm not aware of any scripture anywhere that indicates, you know, Satan or demons or, you know, anyone other than deity can know our thoughts, know what we're thinking. Uh, likewise, I'm not aware of any scriptures uh, that indicate Satan has any sort of you know, power or ability to miraculously, uh, directly you know, drop a thought, <laughs> you know, drop a mental picture, you know, in, into our head, so to speak. Know, communicate via, via a dream or a vision or miraculously like we have seen in uh, Old Testament times. So, no scripture, hence, it's just kind of, you know, leave it at that. But, but and, and this is kind of uh, across both part one and part two. Satan certainly has the power to indirectly influence our thinking through a wide variety of means. You know, back in, in part one, I believe it was, you know, we talked about the lust of the eyes, the things we see, the lust of the flesh, the, the bodily cravings that we have, uh, the pride of life. And we see this repeated this pattern over and over again. Happened with Eve in the Garden of Eden, Genesis chapter 3, verse 6. Happened with temptation of Christ, Matthew 4, 3 through 9. And we individually are warned about these three mechanisms. First John chapter 2, verses 15 through 17. A lot of other verses that talk about you know, temptation, succumbing to temptation, resisting temptation, etc. We just very briefly give our uh, listeners a list that they can look up on their own. Matthew chapter 5, verse 28. Matthew chapter 15, verse 19. Romans chapter 1, verse 21. 1 Corinthians 10, verses 1 through 12. In fact, in that particular case, you might want to back up to the end of the previous chapter, 1 Corinthians 9. Where Paul says he has to watch himself lest he becomes disqualified or cast away or apostatizes. Galatians chapter 5, verse 16. And finally, James chapter 1, verses 13 through 15. And so as we start to wrap things up, Brian, that's why we emphasize to our audience, you know, the, the importance, why it is very important that we are careful. Careful what we watch. Careful what we read. Careful who we associate with. Careful what we put into our heads. Because those will indeed, those thoughts, if you will, get injected to our heads, you know, based on what we see on the TV, movies, read on the internet, books, magazines, the music we listen to, the places where we go in terms of entertainment, the people we associate with, especially our close friends, even family members, and such. And of course, Philippians chapter 4, verses 4 through 9 is a good reference for people to keep in mind, uh, you know, as part of this subject as well, in terms of, you know, Satan not able to directly inject thoughts into our minds, but that we need to be careful. And when we do have these lusts, do have these temptations, do have these bad thoughts, that certainly we should turn to God. In fact, you know, via prayer, which is what uh, Philippians chapter 4 verse 6 refers to, everything by prayer, Pleading, thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God, and the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. That same passage goes on in verse 8 to kind of give you the, the antidote 
so to speak, for all these you know bad thoughts. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence and if anything worthy of praise, think about these things. I guess, Brian, key point is if you find yourself dwelling on blood, violence, gore, profanity, sexuality, pornography, you name it, fill your head with that, bad thoughts are going to be ahead of you. If you think on what is true, honorable, pure, lovely, commendable, fill your head with those thoughts, that will be your you know, guard, if you will, against these kinds of sinful temptations. Brian? Yeah, great point. You know, as we begin to wrap this up, there's one other element that we really didn't spend time talking about, but I hope through this two-part series, our listeners realize that, you know, even with demons, the part I'm mentioning or, or thinking about here is sometimes people feel like, you know, when you look at the examples of demon possession in the New Testament, oftentimes people were doing things that they themselves normally wouldn't do, like the demon was causing them to throw themselves in the fire or because of great strength, harm people and things like that. And so therefore, sometimes when people today, as we mentioned in that first part, you know, maybe because of a mental illness, you know, they're doing things they normally wouldn't do. Well, therefore, they're possessed with a demon and therefore they're also not accountable. Now, there are some elements to consider about mental illness and how God looks at that. But I guess the point is, is that hopefully we've been able to show through the scriptures that demon possession no longer occurs. And so all of us are accountable for our own behavior. We certainly can't blame Satan or demon or anything like that. And, uh, you know, so hopefully as we've gone through this series, you know, we've shown you through the Bible that the Bible has a lot to say about demons and spirits and hauntings and ghosts and things like that. There's certainly not any substantiation that that's all true, departed spirits wandering around and all those sorts of things. But I also want to thank Paul, who was uh, one who had actually requested this topic and, you know, it gives us just uh, some ammunition, Jeff, I guess, for lack of a better term, for people that would assert people are possessed by demons today or that there are ghosts and those sorts of things. So wait a minute. If we look in the Bible, some of these things you're saying just aren't true. And here's why. So anyhow, hopefully it's been helpful to our listeners. Well, and, you know, that's a good point. If our listeners have a topic that they would like us to potentially, you know, include as a podcast, more so than just they have a question they'd like to have answered. But if they have like something they'd like to suggest for us to do in a podcast, uh, more than happy to receive those suggestions. If you go to our website, there is an ask a question button on the homepage. If you want to use that to contact us and make a suggestion, we'd be more than happy to uh, entertain that. Absolutely. Also, again, as we uh, wrap stuff up, we, a lot of things we didn't cover. So go to our website, biblequestions.org. Go to the topics menu item under A for afterlife. What happens to people after they die? E for demons and devil. G for ghosts. H for Hades. And O for the cult. Please study the material, especially the Bible references. Dig into the scriptures. Make sure that what we're claiming is indeed according to God's word. And then put it into practical use in your life. Thank you for listening to this edition of the Bible Questions podcast. We invite you to visit our website, biblequestions.org where you can submit a Bible question to be answered. And you can also search archives where we have answered several hundred Bible questions over the years. Our website also has a host of free Bible study material, free correspondence courses, as well as sermons and a host of other material. 
please stop by and check it out.